Hi, Rob. How are you? Hey, there we go. I'm good. How are you, Richard? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Uh, you want to uh, try to get as big a crowd as possible? So you want to retweet the thing that I just tweeted tagging you? Uh, yeah, I just tweeted it actually. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. great. Then I guess we can. I guess we can start right. out. Are we, we can... empty? Who's? Do we have anyone in here? We have. Few we have. Uh, we have like five. It says we have five live. We so we have. may get more. We may get not. I found that the TV ones. Well, I've only done one one TV one. I did the Better Call Saul one the other day, uh, and it had a lower turnout than the other uh, few I've done. Um, hmm. Maybe people don't like TV, or maybe people don't like Better Call Saul. You don't like Better Call Saul. No, I don't like Better Call Saul. Uh, yeah, and so the people who like it, That's I mean, the... I get a lot of reaction. The people who like it really like it. They're like, oh, my God, I love this show. How is everyone, like, missing this? And Chris is the same way. I don't uh, know what I'm, I'm missing. I don't, I don't know. Like, what? Tell me, uh, tell me what you liked about that. Well, how far have you, how far have you gotten? I watched the first season. I think that's it. I think I just watched the first season. I think I watched a few episodes twice, actually. So I got like a full, you know, a couple times. So, uh, well, you know, I I love the I mean, I love the character development. Jimmy develops in a very interesting way. I mean, he's a different person basically every season, and he's a different <laughs> person in Breaking Bad. Um, Kim Wexler, um, who you see, you know, you've seen a little bit of, she also develops in a very interesting way. Um, Nacho develops into a interesting and important character. Um, and the, there's a lot of cartel stuff. So you get the backstory of all these people that, you know, you do you ever, um, do you ever see Walter White make any appearance? I know you see mm-hmm. Gus Fring. I saw the ads with Gus. Do you want me to, you want me to tell you? Because it's a, uh, that would be a, a spoiler if, if you did or not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can tell I'm me. I'm going to hold out hope. I'm going to hold out hope that you watch. I'm not going to give away. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to give that away. I, I still believe that one day, well, one day you might check maybe, it out. Maybe I'll read and it's it. not fair, you know, because this is a room about Mad Men, so there's going to be spoilers in this room. I don't want to give away okay. spoilers for that's other fair. shows, right? Because that's, that's, that's just that's give, <laughs> yeah, give fair that's warning fair. to people. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, should we, should, we, uh, should we start or should we wait a few to see if anyone else wants to join? People, people can people can come in as 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 we go forward. Uh, so, you started watching Mad Men, right? And then you stopped for a while, right? Uh, well, no, no, no. I I watched the whole series roughly when it was on the air. I think I, I actually discovered it in two thousand eight. Um, it, it came on after an episode of Breaking Bad. So, Breaking Bad's first um, season aired in two thousand eight. And then just like, I don't know if it was like right after they played a rerun or something of, of Mad Men. And I just watched it just because it was on next. And I just sort of sat through it. And I'm like, this is an interesting show. And then I started from the beginning. So I watched it, you know, during that period until 2015. And then I took a, you know, I haven't watched it since. And then I started rewatching it a few months back and um, it's kind of making my way through it. And yeah, I mean, I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Not as much as I, I thought I would. Somehow I liked it more, I think, the, the first time around. Uh, I sort of had the opposite experience as, uh, you know, you know, I talked about The Sopranos. With The Sopranos, I liked it a lot the first time, and then I liked it even more during the rewatch. Mad Men, it was like, I liked it the first time, second time. I kind of still liked it, but maybe not yeah. much. What did you think? Uh, you know, so what? I only watched it once. I, did, I never got into it at the time. I knew it was a cultural phenomenon. I mean, people were, like, watching Mad Men. I don't know why. I just never uh, checked it out back when it was... Uh, when it was on, um, and I've, I've only watched it. I've, I finished it, um, you know, like a year or two ago, um, and I never, um, you know, so I never re I never rewatched it. Um, 
And I, you're right at Sopranos when I rewatch that. It's great. Saul is another one, actually. You know, if you have the patience to watch it and then rewatch it, I mean, a lot. It, it, it's actually the best show for rewatching. I'll say, like, the different, like, the, the extra things you get from the rewatch compared to the uh, original watch because you see things so much more clearly that it's very easy to miss. That's why people think it's boring because it's, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff there is very subtle. Uh, but you rewatch it, you start to see it and things, like, really clear up. Um, I enjoyed. The early, so I'll, I'll tell you my big take about the this show. I enjoyed the aesthetics of it. You know, I look at those guys in New York City, uh, and then that's they live really cool lives. I mean, they have you know they have their wives at home. They're going out. They're drinking during the day. They're they're in the big city. Uh, they're doing exciting things. They're working on you know presidential campaigns or about to work on a presidential campaign they're you know uh they're shaping american culture really they're involved in like the biggest you know ad campaigns that sort of become iconic um and so that you know so that i i i like that it wore off a little bit as time went on um did you finish the series yeah i finished the series yeah oh i took a break maybe i was confused i started watching it and took a break Mm. okay uh yeah I, i confused i confused me with you um and I, uh, yeah, and so um, as far as, you know, like the character, so the, it wore off as time went on, partly because the world, you know, changed and, the, and it shows the world changing, right? You go off, it's, it's uh, it starts in like 64 or something and it ends in like 71 or something like that. I mean, that's 60 pretty- to 70, like literally the, the whole span of the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I actually, um, I read this, this uh, article about you know, Matthew Weiner creating Mad Men and he actually wanted to start the series in 1959. Uh, but then he wanted to incorporate the birth control pill in the first season plot, which hadn't been invented until 1960. So that's why he decided to, to set it in, in 1960. You know, the whole sort of plot with, with Peggy and Pete and the baby, and which, which in itself is kind of a sort of an interesting thing we can get into. Uh, when did you, uh, so do you watch it after the fact? Like, do you watch it on like Netflix or... Uh, I think Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's where I watched it too. It used to actually be on Netflix a few years ago. If I'm not I might have, I might have, I might have started uh, there. But, but why is the birth control? Because the Peggy thing. Because she wasn't on birth control. So why? Why was it? How was that in the pilot? Well, okay. So in the pilot, you see Peggy. She's in the doctor's office. Oh yes, I remember. The, and then they have that scene yeah, where it's like he's he smoking. Was, he was, Right, the doctor smoking. <laughs> it's like they kind of that. That was one thing that I thought was maybe not so well done. Is like they kind of beat you over the head with like, "Hey, it's 1960," and it's like you know, doctor smoking while he's doing the the examination. And, uh, yeah. um, oh, well, you know, he's I, like making almost, very uh, unpleasant remarks to her about like you know, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you this prescription for the birth control pill, but I don't want you to go acting like the town pump now. Yeah. Well, you know what? That that stuff, I thought, I agree. It was a little bit over the top. So I almost stopped watching the first episode because it's just like every single interaction, like between a man and a woman. So it starts off with like uh, 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 Christina Hendricks. What, what's her character's name? Uh, Joan. Joan. Joan and uh, Peggy. They're like walking around and like every interaction between a male and a female um, is like just the man like humiliating or like complimenting a look. So it's like every single interaction. I mean, you watch the first, you watch the pilot. It's like that's all men do with women. Like they never like just like talk about work stuff or talk about normal stuff. Yeah, um, it's like sexual harassment or like completely dismissive. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, like everything is like, oh, yeah, like Joan says, you know. Well, like, well even a, even a Don, right? Like, I, well, the pilot pilots are always weird, right? Like pilots are never kind of a good, I mean, it's sad, right? Because it's the first thing you ever see usually, but they're usually not like a good representation of an entire show, right? Like if you go back and watch the pilot of The Sopranos, right? Like there's a lot of weird things about it. Like even the name of the pork store is different. Tony kind of speaks like his accent. James Gandolfini's accent's a little off. Like everything kind of changes throughout the show. So one thing that was weird about the pilot, I thought, in Mad Men was, like, how how sort of witty and how, like, full of quips everyone is, you know? Like, I mean, like, one that comes to mind, Roger goes into Don's office. Like, if, you know, your introduction to Roger is, you know, Roger says, have we ever hired any Jews? And then Don shouts back something like, you know, not on my watch, you know, half joking or whatever. <laughs> and there's, like, all these kinds of, like, casual anti-Semitic, casual racism, casual sexism, which is, like, okay, fine, that was the era. But it was, like, to me, it was a little too witty, um, and I think like maybe, maybe Matthew Weiner was trying to, um, like he didn't want you to be bored with it. Right. Like, I think a lot of people think of like that era of like the 1950s or early sixties, you know, like before the sexual revolution, just like that whole period is very stodgy and uptight and boring. And I think he made the, 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 the dialogue a little too quippy for me. You know, the first time I watched it, I didn't notice, but this time around, I'm like literally everything out of these people's mouths is like this sort of glib joke. Um, well, it's hard to, it's hard to know what people were actually like in like the fifties or sixties. So like, yeah, there's people who remember, but I mean, but whatever, they're, they're, they're very, very old now. And it was a long time ago. And it's like, you can watch shows, but like you're watching a show or a TV or a movie, like even from the era, you're never getting a real representation. Um, so it's, it's hard to know, like, you know, what actually people talked about. So I think like, if you say like fifties, early sixties, America, you imagine, um, you imagine just like very buttoned up, very, you know, formal people deal in how they deal with each other uh but then you have these like you know these madmen right they're they're ad guys in new york city it's different like maybe they are like i don't know they're, they're like supposedly drunk all day right i mean maybe they are like <laughs> just joking all day and that's just like you know how life was i, I just don't know you yeah know? and it's tv too fine but it's supposed to be you know it's supposed to be prestige tv it's supposed to be realistic or at least you know as close to realistic as tv can get it's like i don't know i just don't believe that you could you know, drink uh, 10, 10 ryes or whatever, you know, Don is drinking, drinks like 10 rye whiskeys a day. And he's like, you know, constantly on and charismatic and witty all the time. And Roger too, right? Like Roger. Oh, you, you, develop a, you develop a tolerance. But, I mean, you can, you can be drunk all the time and you uh, can have a, you can uh, have a very nice tolerance. Uh, but like. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol tolerance is an amazing, I mean, the difference between, you know, the difference between someone who drinks a lot and someone who doesn't is really just, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, the pilot thing is interesting. Yeah, the pilot, the pilots are often different because it's like starting a business or like a friendship or like anything at the beginning, like does not look like what it looks like later, right? Because things change and, you know, things improvise. So I remember we were talking, maybe we were talking about this, the Sopranos. It started off sort of like going to be like a comedy, but then like they had something, you know, they had, it was still funny uh, later. But you know, yeah. they just realized they had something else, and they sort of went with that. It's, you know, it's this like that. With a, a lot of dramas are kind of like this too. Well, I remember so so David Chase with The Sopranos. He said um, he he sort of envisioned it to be like a sort of um, like a sitcom almost. 
of like the Simpsons, like in the vein of like the Simpsons or the honeymooners where you have like this kind of overweight husband and, and, and his wife and, you know, like the kind of a dopey son and the pretty daughter and like, you know, that kind of like classic American sitcom. But yeah. then like, yeah, like you're saying, like they sort of, uh, they found like the, the darker elements of it. But a lot of, a lot of dramas start like this where they're kind of a little bit lighthearted and humorous in the early seasons. And then by the end they become super dark. I mean, the Sopranos is like, obviously this happened, but then, um, Mad Men too. Like the first season was probably like the most sort of lighthearted and humorous and, you know, I, I, like the other seasons maintained a little bit of that humor, but like by the end, right. Where like Don's life is unraveling and Roger's on his second divorce and, Joan is like a single mom and Peggy is like, you know, has like a string of failed relationships and, you know, her relationship with Don becomes kind of shaky. It, like it, it, the, the stuff just becomes like, it becomes like much darker. You know what's and, funny? And more drama, the one I, which I don't think I like the, the guy we th- I thought, and I'm sure everyone else thought was going to have a, um, uh, like a really bad ending. The most likely to have a bad ending actually had the happiest ending. Who's that? Um, I forget. Pete, Pete, yeah, Pete, Pete. <laughs> you, you thought he was, you didn't want him to have a happy ending? Why not? No, it's not that I, what I wanted. I just, what we thought would happen. Like, I, I thought, like, everything about his character, he was, like, sort of a very disturbed guy, like, wrecked with these insecurities. Like, that's how you're getting the whole show. You know, he's self-destructive. He, like, tries to, like, flirt and have affairs, and he does, but it's, like, in a very, like, uh, you know, it's, like, in a very uh, clumsy way. It's not yeah. him, like, you know, he's trying to be Don. He basically wants to be Don, but he's right. not Don, and he can't be Don, and Don hates him, like, it, like you know, Don yeah. hates him, like, so maybe because he sees, like, he can't be him. And, but in the end, you know, he, get, he gets, a, he gets like, a trance, he gets a new job to, like, go to Nebraska or something, um, and he gets his wife back, and they go with their daughter, and they live happily ever Wichita, after. Wichita, Wichita Falls, right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Pete was an interesting case. Like, he was the he was the foil for Don. Like, you know, I think most seasons, at least the early seasons, uh, there was always, like, a primary antagonist for Don. It was sort of like with The Sopranos, right? With, uh, you know, well, I guess, like, the first season, it was uh, Uncle June and his mom trying to kill him. But then there was, like, Richie and then Ralphie and then Feech and... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so then with, with Don, like the first season, it was, it was Pete Campbell, you know, this sort of, um, you know, this, this young upstart, this rich kid who's kind of angling for his job, which that part didn't make sense to me. So Pete was in, um, he was an accounts man, right? Which is, I guess their, their job is to kind of like wine and dine their, their clients and make sure that, you know, they're, they're pleased and satisfied. And then Don, was the creative director who's like, you know, doing like responsible for um, creating the ads. But then like, there was this, I guess like Pete had this weird insecurity in this, right. I, I think it was, did Pete want to be an account uh, on, on the creative team? I think at I, first. It like I thought, I thought everyone wanted that. Like it wasn't, it doesn't seem like it was like very formalized procedures or like there wasn't credential, a lot of credentialism. Like John got his job just by like selling uh, Roger a suit. Right. And then like running into him right on purpose, like trying to run into him. And so yeah, that's how yeah, Don like got started. Out. It. Yeah. Well, Don, he took night classes, but I don't think he ever finished his degree. Right. Like he sort of, uh, Although I don't know, like that was. Did he take night classes? Too. I don't even. I don't even remember that. What kind of? Classes yeah, he took night classes, and but but then like it's unclear whether he took the night classes because he wanted to get a credential, or he took them for his own benefit so that he could like, like was he doing it for like the signaling purposes, or was he doing it for his own like personal gain? Because he did take the identity of, um, you know, Don, the real Don Draper. And maybe that resume of like the real Don based on his like military records or documentation or something like shows that he already went to college. And so, you know, Dick Whitman Don, you know, maybe he went to night school so that he could 
better learn how to carry himself as an educated person? That part was a little unclear. Um, but 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 Pete was uh, Pete was uh, he was like you know the sort of typical wasp Ivy League. He went to Dartmouth. Um, rich family, right? Like the Dykeman family, his mother's side, whatever. Like they, at one point they wanted to fire him in the first season and Burt Cooper sits uh, Roger and Don down. He was like, we can't fire him because this kid is like, you know, from this legacy dynasty wasp family who has like connections to whatever, like all these fancy New York clubs. So they like, even though they wanted to fire him, they couldn't. Um, and so Pete was like, yeah, full of envy. I think he wanted to be a creative person. He said something like, um, you know, I have ideas, but then I get here and you people tell me that um, that I'm good with other people. And I've never heard that before. And basically, like, sort of uh, acknowledging, right, that uh, the reason they put him in the accounts position is because they want him to be interacting with clients because the clients will be impressed by his family pedigree and his background. Um, they don't want him, you know, to be squirreled away working on ads when he could be, you know, sort of elevating the prestige of the firm. Mm-hmm. Um so, so yeah, there was like that weird dynamic between him and Don where he, he wanted Don's job, but Don like didn't respect Pete at first. Right. Like Pete's character changed a lot in the series. Yeah. He becomes more like, he has like a lot of self-awareness, but it becomes like a real self. So like, you know, there's like an insecure kind of self-awareness where like you go through life and like, you're just self-aware enough to like, other people can see yourself aware. And so that creates, you know, sort of awkwardness. And so he's like that kind of guy uh, in the first few seasons, but then he becomes like more self-aware and by being more self-aware, it actually becomes less awkward because you are, uh, you actually, there's something genuine comes out of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I think like, yeah, he, he may be, yeah, I mean, definitely better than Don, at least. Like, he, he actually is, like, one of the few characters who truly changes. I mean, he makes a bunch of mistakes. Like, I mean, it's funny. He makes all the same mistakes Don makes, but worse, like, sloppier. Like you said, he's more clumsy in his affairs. Like, he gets caught, right? Like, the reason um, his wife Trudy divorced, or not divorced, but separated from him for a while was because, like, he was meeting up with, um, I think it was his next-door neighbor, the wife of his, you know, the, his next-door neighbor, was sleeping with her and then like you know the husband found out and then yeah trudy was like you know like basically she said in so many words like if i kind of knew that you were going to do this in the city like when you go into work but because she even allowed him to get an apartment i remember they got into an argument and then trudy allowed pete to have an apartment in the city implicitly sort of accepting that he would probably use that apartment to sleep with other women but then, like, I don't know, at least in the show, it seemed like within a matter of weeks, Pete takes his like, next-door neighbor <laughs> into the city, yeah. and then the, the husband gets involved, and it gets really messy. And so, yeah, Pete just, like, well, his what, life what, keeps what, falling what apart. What year do you think it became, so, like, in their world, like, affairs are just accepted as something men do. What year do you think, like, that would have been, like, normal? Was that accurate, though, Richard? Was I, that accurate, I, though? I, that, I like, have no idea. It's one of those like, things... It's one of those things that, like, people wouldn't talk about. It's, like, one of those things that's, like, a subtle, like, social thing that, like, you know, people wouldn't, like, have talked about at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I but, don't know. But I, I guess, like, the show makes it seem like it was just rampant, right? Like, I don't think there's a single man in the show, like, a, like no male character in the series was faithful the entire time that I can recall. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. but, like, was that the case, though? Was it, like, so you, you, so you remember the surprise? 
you remember the Sopranos? There was this one scene where they were the women were talking about like uh, Bobby was the only one without a gumar, and they were sort of like, "Oh my god, he's so sweet. He doesn't even have a gumar. He's like the only one." And so that's like noticeable. And I believe that for a criminal subculture, like I think the criminal yeah. guys, like I think they, you know, they they uh, it's all about their masculinity, and it's about sort of being transgressive and like you know not flaunting society's rules. And you know, well, it was in that culture, like it, you, like the guys had a gumar even when they didn't like them. Remember Vito? who was gay, like, you know, you later discover he's gay, but you remember, like, he had a Gumar who was, like, yelling at him that, that yeah. they hadn't had sex in a year, but he would still, like, go to her house and hang out just to, like, keep up appearances and, like, to sort of maintain <laughs> yeah. their, their relationship with one another simply because, like, it was, like, really not necessarily about just having sex with uh, someone else, but about showing the guys, like, yeah, I have this side hoe or whatever. So, like, yeah, but, but in Mad Men, does that make sense for, like, these sort of, um, you know, upper-class, like, you know, wealthy advertising executives uh, to, to, like, sort of, like, literally all be, like, const- I mean, sleeping with their secretaries and, like, other women? And I don't know. I mean, like, like Joan makes it seem that way, too, right? Like, in the, especially yeah. in the pilot in the first few well, seasons, like, yeah, I- she's mentoring Peggy. It's like, you know, all, you, you know, all these guys are, are after you and enjoy it and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not going to be true for like a broad sector of the American upper class. Like, you know, it's not going to be like, the, you know, top 10% or 5%, right? Whether that existed in like that subculture, like New York City admin. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I really don't have an idea. Maybe like somebody will... Uh, you know, like it would be, like we could have evidence on this. Like maybe there's, was Mad Men based on a book or like a series of books or something? No, I think Weiner just sort of like based it on, yeah, like sort of his own, his own sort of idiosyncratic research and early life experiences and stuff, but it wasn't based on any other kind of piece of content. Uh huh. Okay. Well, I mean, so, so, but there, there has been stuff written about like the admin of the 1960s. So like, if you look at those books, maybe, you know, you'd have to look at those books and maybe there's a, uh, you know, maybe there's a clue of like what the culture was. I wonder if it is, you know, I wonder if it's true and I wonder if it is true, like what year, you know, that became the norm because I, I, you know, or, or whether it went in cycles, like if the 1920s, you would have this. And then in like the 1930s, you wouldn't, right? That's uh, 19, maybe by the end of the 1950s, you, you know, you would have this again. I don't know. Like, I'm just guessing like that's perhaps. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I remember seeing statistics on infidelity, like for men and women. And I remember like for men, I don't remember like what date it went back to, but like it's, it remains like roughly steady, uh, like around 30% of married men at least report, you know, they sort of acknowledge that they've they've been unfaithful. And for women, it's been climbing, but I don't remember like what it, date it started from. And, and of course, like that's just like a sort of broad aggregate statistic in the U.S. Like, I don't know, like, you know, in terms this of is uh, married, this is married men, 30 married men, 30 percent, 30% say they've been unfaithful. Report. That's hard. Yeah. To yeah. Well, you, what you think it's too high or too low? Well, I think that's too high. Um, not too high, really. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the real number is going to be higher if 30% say they do it. The real number is going to be, what, 50, 60? Two researchers found that 21% of men and 13% of women reported some point infidelity in their in their lifetime. Um, yeah. That's infidelity. Is that is that uh, from, uh, extramarital sex? Yeah, the, here's, well, here's just one thing I Googled in, one, in like two seconds. Uh, general social survey uh, says 20% of men and 13% of women. Okay, that's not that unbelievable. I mean, you, you figure half of marriages end, end in divorce. So, I mean, it's, it's believable that a lot of them are, are uh, infidelity. Yeah, but that's not the, the point is not how much people cheat. The point is like, how accepted is it, right? Women just look yeah, that's way. fair. It's like I, mean, it, I wonder if it was more sort of what socially. I mean, I'm sure it was always sort of 
what uh, uh, kept quiet. You know, people weren't necessarily bragging about it. But I wonder if, like, it was sort of um, look the other way. That kind of. I mean, the the show. Does. I think it depends on the job too. Like, I think professional athletes. Like, uh, mm. do you remember when like Kobe Bryant uh, got arrested for he was accused of rape, and then like he told the cops like, "Oh, Shaq, you know, Shaq has sex with all these women or something." <laughs> <laughs> do you remember this? I he mean, was like, he was like, "Jesus, he was just trying to say it was consensual." He was saying Shaq too. I think like you know, if you're like uh, athletes and you're like traveling and it's just men and there's no women around, I think that can like create an environment like that so like, i mean okay so so i used you know, i was in the air force and i remember when the pilots would come in i so yeah i was stationed in germany for a while and the pilots would would, would touch down and like the first thing they did when they exited the flight deck was take their their wedding ring off right uh-huh. like you know that's just like the that's part of the culture i mean it's 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 kind of i mean it's sad but it's 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 not uncommon in the military in general but then like especially for pilots because like they travel so much um and so I'd imagine, like, yeah, certain subcultures, maybe it is, like, upwards of 50% of the men are, um, you know, like, especially back then, right? Like, there's no way to get caught. Like, there's no mm-hmm. um, no, no phones, no, like, camera. Like, just everything was just, like, everything was much more private and, and easier to get away back then. So I guess I, I – and then, the, like, the in terms of, like, at least the, sh- the show's portrayal of, of cheating – I remember, I think it was season two or three, Betty is considering divorcing Don. She hadn't done it yet, but she visited a lawyer and the lawyer was like, you know, if, as long as he's not being abusive to you and caring, you know, providing whatever, like I kind of recommend you just, you know, you just, you just uh, drop the idea of divorce. And so, so yeah, maybe because the, the norms were so strong uh, to remain mm-hmm. in your marriages, you know, that, in, that gave you more room to that. Then like, yeah, yeah it's it's like the pilot easier. Like- the pilot thing is interesting because it's like it's like maybe this is like what all men would be like. like it's like it's like the only reason like, it's like it's like it's like the opportunity because we're out of the opportunity. Yeah, it's just about that. Like you know, you're crazy to do it now if you live with your wife and you're not traveling a lot and like there's cell phones. Yeah, and, you, know, you have your iPhone. Probably, and, yeah, yeah, there's like trackers and all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Plus, if you're, like, I mean, like, Richard, you're a public figure, right? Like, someone will take a picture of you and put it online if they see. Oh, you. I'm not that. I'm not that important. <laughs> I don't think I've. I don't think I've. I've yet to be recognized. Like, people yeah. have uh, seen me on TV, and then They're my neighbor saw like, me on. Richard's over here neighbor. causing women's tears. <laughs> well, my na- I was on. I was on Tucker, and my neighbor um, noticed that, and she, and she brought that up. Um, mm, and that, that's so be careful. That's the o- yeah. That's the only thing I remember. That's the only time I remember anyone, uh, like, people have seen me on TV or something, and, like, they're people I knew already, but I've never been just out in public in, like, a random place, um, and someone came and said, oh, yeah, you're, no, no, I'm not, I'm not at that level. I mean, you're as famous as I am, aren't you? I mean, I'm not, like, much more famous than you. <laughs> I've, I've been recognized, like, less, less than five times in public, um, but yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always like the same kind of like, you know, young, young guy, that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so anyway, uh, yeah, well, there was, there was an older lady actually once who saw me on Jordan Peterson. I was surprised that an older lady was, uh, you know, was watching Jordan Peterson videos, but, uh, but anyway, uh, there was, um, so, so in the, in the show itself, right? Like the, the way that it depicts cheating is like, it, it, so, so you're talking about like, okay, is it, is this something that all men would do if they could get away? With it? Like, I mean, probably more, probably more men would cheat if yeah. they could and whatever. And like, if yeah, you, and if you look like John Hamm in 1960 in that suit and everything, like, sure. But the way that like the show kind of like takes this, you know, this kind of um, 
like Freudian, like, you know, this kind of interesting, like with Don, right? Like Don is the, like, so, so the other people, right? Like Pete and the younger, the younger ad execs, Ken and all these other guys who are, you know, they harass Peggy during the first season. Like they're all shown, like, they just want to have sex. Like their, their goal for being, you know, unfaithful or, or chasing women. It's like, it's a, it's a very kind of like base, you know, like uh, in, you know, primitive masculine urge. Whereas with Don, they portray his infidelity and his sort of sexual proclivities as like stemming from his like, you know, early childhood growing up in a, in a, in a brothel in like, that, I don't know, is, Pennsylvania is that, is or something. Right? How, how do you see, how do you see the, it shows it stemming from, from that? Because, like, in the later, well, at, in the first earlier seasons, you don't really know anything. Like, you just assume that, like, Don is just, like, you know, somehow, um, you know, a piece of him is missing and he finds it somehow with these, like, sort of interesting, sophisticated women, right? Because, like, his earlier mistresses are, like, the opposite in many ways of Betty, right? Like, Betty is this kind of, like, blonde, icy, uh, distant, aloof housewife. And then, like, you know, his first mistress is Midge, who's this kind of, like, pseudo-hippie, beatnik, you know, yeah. free-spirited artistic type. And then he falls in love with Rachel, who's, like, you know, this sort of, you know, businesswoman who runs her dad's company, who owns this department store, who's, you know, not, you know, un- whatever, like, willing willing to um, uh, talk back to, you know, powerful men like him or whatever. And he finds that attractive. Um, I, I think like some of that was probably pandering to to educated women too, right? But he, in, the end, know, in the like, end, in the end, he wants. In the, but in the end, he wants <laughs> Betty. Right? He, she tries to leave. She she, she uh, leaves. She's the one always trying to leave, and he is. Um, you know, he's trying to make it work for as long as as long as yeah, possible. because he wants the image, right? Like this is. I think this was like one of his. Uh-huh motives was like he wanted to keep that sort of uh suburban white picket fence blonde wife image you know with his two kids you know he wanted that back in the suburbs right like he wants to be that man who he saw in advertisements and tv or like the sort of aspirational image of a married you know husband and a father and whatever but then he also wanted to have his sort of like interesting sophisticated women in the city on the side so you know, that was supposed to be like what what Don quote unquote really wanted were these sort of like highly educated, interesting, uh, intelligent women. And, you know, Don just keeps Betty on the side, you know, like that. That was just like his sort of uh, like to keep up appearances or something. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. If you're looking at the woman he's um, he's uh, having affairs with, they often are that. Although he ends up with that uh, actress French wo- uh, French woman or French Canadian woman, and she's not very she's not very sophisticated. In the end, like he wants to marry both times. He wants to marry someone more traditionally feminine. You say maybe it's yeah. because of its appearances. I don't know if it's because of appearances. I mean, I just think you know he wants like there's a simpler explanation for Don, uh, his, uh, his you know who he has affairs with, and just Don overall. Like I I see him as as a, um, you know, maybe this is a minority view. I see him as actually a very simple character. And I think he becomes like, it becomes clearer as time goes on. I think that his appeal to women, his appeal to men too, is that he's like this tall, handsome, you know, tall, dark, handsome, like reserved guy with like confidence in himself. Right. And he doesn't have to be like, you know, when he has all those like advantages built in, he doesn't need to like be interesting or like strong or like anything, like anything more than that. And I think as time goes (laughs) on, he's just like, 
I, I start to like him less and less. I start to think that mm-hmm. there's less and less. They're like, okay, he likes women, right? You know, all men like women. So he likes, you know, he has his wife, Betty. Uh, you know, they have children. He just like, you know, raises his children in like a normal way. He, but then he like cheats on her. Like sometimes he wants variety. He wants, you know, some a woman who's more sophisticated, but then he just wants, you know, another wife again. He gets bored with the, the second wife too. You know, he moves on. Like, but, but there doesn't have to be a deep reason for any of this. It's just like, you know, he's just like a man, like indulging his instincts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I think that, like, yes, that's, that's, I, I well, I guess, like, the, the, so I, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to guess at, um, like, Matthew Weiner's, like, what he's trying to do here with those, because, like, those scenes with him in his early life, like, those weren't there by accident or for no reason. So, like, why would you, especially, like, you know, he, he's, like, whatever, like, he's seeing these women who's, they're bringing in Johns and, you know, he's, like, there, like, observing it, all of this I mean, all maybe, around maybe, him. I mean, another, another way of seeing this show is, like, Don is sort of like a not very deep character. What, what you're what you're watching this for is you're watching it for knowing something about the era. It's like the aesthetic. So like, why are they showing this? It's because it's the 1930s. It's the great. Yeah. Era. Well, you want to see how much way, everything I think, sucks. Actually, to um, I think it's a cheap way to uh to 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 like uh, create like in, interesting qualities about Don is like showing his like strange origin story or something. Like, I think like, his, you know, the scene in Korea where he takes his officer's identity and all of that, like that's kind of, I think that's interesting because it, it's relevant to the show about like, you know, the whole show is, is this sort of like implicit, you know, whatever, like it, it glamorizes and simultaneously sort of critiques consumerist culture. And like Don Draper himself is like a walking advertisement, right? Like that's not really his name, his whole like persona and everything is sort of cultivated and crafted. Like everything about him is like mm-hmm. false, right? Like it's all sort of an act. He's really this sort of like, you know, uh, uh, yokel from this podunk town and the Dust Bowl growing up poor in the Great Depression and whatever. And then he stole another person's name. Like, that's not even his name, whatever. And so, so that like part was relevant, but then like, you know, later with his sexual proclivities, like they wanted, I think they wanted to add this interesting layer to him that like, to me, didn't make sense again, because like all the other guys in the show who are like cheating and whatever, like, you know, that's just guys being guys or whatever. But then it's like, oh, there's, there has to be a reason for him that why he's doing all of this. But like, I think, I think your explanation actually makes more sense that he's just like a good looking guy who has opportunities and he capitalizes on that. Yeah. I like to interpret interpret shows in a different way. I, I don't like to just try to get into the head of the, um, uh, the director, right? I like to sort of just take the product as it is, and then like try to like, given what I know about the world, like what do what do I think makes the most sense? So maybe this is just like a a different way of like interpreting uh, art. I don't feel like I have to be I'm in prison to like you know whatever yeah. whatever Matthew well, wants me to think like, about. They always try to do. I mean, like you know, both of the shows, Sopranos too, right? Like they. A lot of shows don't do like the sort of early life backstory stuff, but the Sopranos did with Tony and then Mad Men did with, with Don. And I think like, yeah, to me, it makes sense actually to try to like understand like, why are they putting these, these origin stories in here of these characters? And like, they did a little bit with Pete too, right? Like Pete had this very like cold waspy mom, you know, she would say like, I, you know, one of the later, I never loved you. 
Yeah, but I mean, the question is like, so the, the, why I like to bring my own like priors to understand these things is like, it's like it's how you interpret these things depends so much on like how you feel about things like nur- nature and nurture and how much you feel people change. So like to me, like I'm a big believer in genetics. So I see like someone acting like their parents and you shall be their parents. I'm like, oh, that's like a genetic quality that they just had, right? And like whether the producer is like, you know, actually is trying to do that or they're trying to say they made them this way, right? It, it's completely subject to, uh, it's completely subject to interpretation. So it is, I mean, it is consistent with like you know a lot of different actual things which is why you know i don't think there's like a one right explanation for this yeah uh, I think yeah, yeah i agree bring... but i think yeah. like with with uh yeah, well it's interesting like when when shows choose to do that right like two sh- two other like great shows um breaking bad and another thing they do by the way i think i think another another reason why they show origin like, story with their childhood Oh, another reason, by the way, they, they would show this, but besides to show how the person turned out, how they were, is to show the different in the era. So I think one of the big themes in Sopranos was like, you know, the, this was in the pilot. This was a big, uh, uh, this was like the, the opening scene in the show. It's like, you know, the mobsters have changed. Like, it's you know, they're, they're coming at the end of something, you know, great. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you're seeing that in the 19, you know, 60s, like they're, you know, the or 70s or whatever, whenever Tony was growing they up. They came in at like, the end. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so they're they're still in the middle of it. Like they're still, you know, they're still living in urban areas. They haven't moved out to the suburbs yet. Uh, they, uh, you know, they still feel like connect. It's like you know, sort of like the heyday of the mob. They have the pop culture thing. You know, I guess you know the ideal of back then is like people were less likely to rat. It's before like the feds got smart and started using Rico stuff. I mean, the feds eventually uh, adjusted and were able to take down the mafia and made them into a shell of their former self. But yeah, I think the historical stuff is so. Like, the one way to understand Mad Men is, like, you're just getting a story of, like, the world changing between the 60s and, the uh, you know, in the 60s, from 1960 to 1970, and it's, like, the characters are just sort of, like, they're typical, almost. Like, maybe they're just, like, people, like, navigating these things. Um you know, one of yeah. the funniest things, the Joan thing is really, you know, are there are different prototypes. Joan is a prototype, right? Peggy is like a prototype. Don is like a different kind of prototype. Roger and Burt Cooper and all these people are just like different prototypes of like, you know, people in corporate America uh, dealing with, you know, things changing as time goes on. Um, it's funny. One of the things that changes, there's there's a scene like in the last season or second to last season um, where like they, uh, they threatened to fire Joan or something. Do you remember this? It's like you know who would be very interested in hearing about this? She goes, the, you know, the equal opportunity, the equal employment oh, opportunity yeah, yeah, commission. That was, that was <laughs> yeah, like and like yeah. Betty Friedman, like the national. Organization. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, if I could take clip this, I would put this. Like, I was trying to figure out a way to clip it and be like, this is civil rights law. Like at the beginning of the show, they can say whatever they want, right? And like the government mm-hmm. is not getting involved by the end of the show. Like, you know, she can go like tattle to Washington, right? And so, like, the yeah, yeah, she can have like protesters and marching and the whole the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, it was I remember that scene distinctly and it was like it was supposed to be because it was it was in the last season and I think it was like you know them sort of underlining like look this is a new era it's 1970 things are different you know in 1960 these guys could say whatever they wanted in any way they wanted and now like yeah, yeah. They, the the women they have the power of the government behind them and yeah I mean it was uh like the 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 I thought the changes like the, I think the reason why this show worked was because it, like they they showed the characters like not knowing that history was changing around them, right? Like they're sort of experiencing it as it happens rather than like the like like the characters like like Weiner and the producers trying to like beat us over the head with like a moral lesson, right? Like uh, you know you see Don with um, I think this is season three. He's in a car with the uh, the teacher that he later um, uh, sleeps with. 
And like, you know, I think the, the radio is like replaying like clips from the I Have a Dream speech and like uh-huh. they listen to like five seconds and Don turns it off and they make like, you know, the teacher says like, oh, I want my students to listen. And Don says like, oh, do you think they'll understand it? And that was like as far as it went. Right. But like there wasn't like this whole like, you know, you don't see Pete like Pete is probably the most socially progressive of all of the characters in the show. But like you don't see him like putting, you know, flyers around or like, you know, championing civil rights or anything like there. Like the, yeah. that was probably like the most sort of extreme. I thought his liberalism like, was very weird. Don't you think he does, like when he was he over there when the Kennedy assassination came and like I think it was uh I think it was like uh, who was that? Uh, Harry, who's like sort of a minor character who doesn't like liberals and doesn't you know it is, <laughs> and all, all this stuff. And so like Pete is like emotion. Like I, I'm like where did this come from? He's like an emotionally like left wing. Was it the Kennedy assassination or was it Martin Luther King? It was uh it was I, one of them. It, it, I don't it, remember. I think it was Martin Luther. Well, Martin Luther King, yeah, because that 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 was when. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, and then, and then yeah, Harry, was Harry like, and you know, Pete. He, he, this yeah. is a shameful, shameful day, and like, yeah. and then Harry was like, he, Harry made some remark about how this is going to like, you know, disrupt the television schedule for his commercials or something, yeah. and then Pete flips out, yeah. and yeah, that, and that you know, was like, like it's yeah. weird. Like Pete himself, like you, I guess it was it was sort of emblematic of like you know the the like that is, there was like a certain strain of of New England wasp that that they they did become like very progressive. Right. Yeah. Like, I think like Pete was supposed to be uh, yeah. like an exemplar of, of that strain of, of like progressive waspiness. And I guess that was like also to make like balance out his character because he's like horrible in every single way. <laughs> but like, you know, they, they gave him this sort of progressive values, I guess, to, to, to soften his edges or something. Yeah. You know, if I was going to get into the mind of the writer, you know, it would be like that. I think, did we ever talk about House of Cards? How it's, you know, I've written about this, how House of Cards is like, you know, they're supposed to be terrible characters, but like they're not homophobic or racist. Like that's like the only thing that like sort of redeems them. I also yeah, I think that they're I think that they're, you know Frank Underwood literally commits murder, but but uh you know, he visits the black dude at the barbecue shop, so he's Yeah, yeah, he eats barbecue. He loves barbecue the black guy at the barbecue shop. (laughs) Yeah, so Frank Underwood's like he's not all bad. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other, the all the all the, the well, people can go read my thing about the the uh, portrayal of Putin in Russia in, in House of Cards. I thought that was really funny, uh, and the gay stuff and the you know the gay activist in Russia. Uh, so yeah, so it's um, yeah. So the the changes, yeah. Change. I mean, the change of I think the the sort of the era is the main uh, character. What did here. you, Richard? What did you make of like the the politics of the show though? Like, did it come across as like overtly? So, like, you know, The Sopranos, there was no, like, overt political message one way or the other. Some shows do have it, but this show, I think, like, they, I mean, I, I, like, clearly, like, they they have, like, the, the typical sort of liberal or center-left bent about, like, you know, a lot of things in the 60s were bad, and it's good that things have changed. But at the same time, it also sort of glamorized the era. I think, like, yeah, watched, I think like uh, the aesthetics and the interactions and the women, how they treat the men and all this. And, like, I think there is this kind of almost uh, – they they, they, they they try to have it both ways, right? Like, yeah, it was bad, but also it was kind of kind of cool, kind of hip and, yeah. and interesting. I think I think that liberal producers tend to do this, and they tend to do this in spite of themselves because, like – you know, there is, there is even a part of them, something that's really cool about, you know, basically every like culture that is 
cool is often based on is almost is often or always based on sex differences right it's like you know because it's mm-hmm. so it's like it, it can be di- it's like different like like game of thrones the early seasons and like the sopranos and like mad men right each of these like shows these are like i don't know like the three biggest shows of the years you know the breaking bad you could throw in there too um each of them have like you know like they're just they're basically shows about male worlds and then you know there are there you know there are women in the show obviously uh but it's basically about men and and men's work and the men have in each of these cases they have like sort of strong norms again like this it's not just by accident like you know like a, the way a uh, uh an engineering department today is like accidentally all male right it's, there's like norms that enforce like differences between men and women there's ideas about how men should behave and how women should behave and i think it's not a you know it's not a coincidence that these end up being the kind of worlds people find appealing now it's always like you know it, it exists at like two you know it's like it's like sort of this it's like you make it you ever like you've been like out with a girl or something or like you know talking to a girl and you make like a racist or like sexist joke and like on the surface it's like oh that's horrible but like deep down it's like i'm sort of enjoying it uh i mean yeah i've, I've seen i've seen examples of that yeah yeah, so I think I think it's it's sort of like that. It's like you know, the consciously you're supposed to say like these parts of the world are bad and like you know it, it's good, but at the same time, like you you want to make a compelling show and you want to make a show about the most compelling you know eras and like fantasy worlds and whatever that you can and you can't help but you can't help but glamorize it. I mean, men you know have you know men and women are different and they they sort of aspire to different things and you know the, like cultures reflect that and then the you know the cultures that we want to read about or we want to see on the screen um you know they're 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 often take these things for granted i mean it's hard you know you look at something like uh so you look at like something like we talked about the chair right so you look you take the other end of that spectrum right a place a universe a modern university is a place which has like the biggest taboo (laughs) against like the opposite of of a place with strong gender roles right officially there's supposed to be no you know discrimination or you know distinction made by sex and it's like there's no way to like do that an idealist there's no way to like portray the modern university is like romantic or idealistic or excited. It's like, it's like a comedy of like how ridiculous it is. And even people like I was in academia and I think you're still finishing your, are you still finishing your masters or are you, are you done? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up my PhD. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've moved on since the last time we've talked or, or I forgot. No, 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 no. no. I've, I, I never, I never did a master's. I've, I've been on my PhD since, since we've known each other, I think. Oh, really? Oh, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I guess I had the, I guess I was, uh, uh, I was, I was confused, but, um, yeah. And so like even people, so you're in academia too. So even like within academia, like to me, you know, I, the people I knew, they never took their work that seriously. Um, there was a recent blog by Brian Kaplan, my friend. Um, and you know, the way he was written, it's like, you know, I don't publish in top economic journals, but like in 30 years, people are going to read my stuff and they're not going to read the top economic journals because it's all nonsense and they're just (laughs) using stupid methods. And I'm like being clear and talking about important issues. And it's like that, you know, so like Cap Brian is like a guy who takes his, uh, he takes himself and he takes his intellectual work seriously. Um, that attitude is not like the norm in academia. It, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, you know, so it's like you told, went, went to an academic and say, we're going to portray like the noble, um, you know, the noble aspects of your profession. Like, I, I think that would seem very weird to people. I mean, it's so layered over, you know, with this uh, uh, sort of uh, cynicism and, you know, this, this just sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a sterile environment and, and people see that and, the, you know, the, the gender sameness, the interchangeability of men and women um, is a huge, is a huge part of that. 
Uh, so, you know, to answer your question, it's like, what, you know, so is it, um, what the, what the, this is why what the producer is trying to do, like consciously versus like what we see, this is why that distinction is so important. I think, and question, I've seen, I've seen parts of interviews with, uh, Matt Wiener and like, you know, he just sounds like a typical liberal. Oh, it's all racism and sexism. I'm showing you how bad it was, blah, blah, blah. You watch the show, you end up, you know, you end up sympathizing with that world. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Well, I saw um, I saw another interview with him. I mean, I think he was he was aware like he was very what like very involved. Right. So he used to be Weiner. He used to be a, a writer on The Sopranos like he was, uh, you know, sort of apprenticed under David Chase and and, uh, and and started there. And so I think like they are sort of um, like the Mad Men is like a spiritual descendant in some ways of The Sopranos. But, you know, Dave, uh, uh, Weiner himself, you know, I, I saw this interview with him where he said, like, you know, there was an, a scene, like, so there was a sex scene where, like, one of the, 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 the costume designers, like, they, they wanted Betty or someone to wear, like, a dress with buttons. And Weiner said, like, no, 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 we want, we want Don to unzip it because unzipping is sexier. And I read that mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, okay, so he, like, yeah, there is something here about, like, he's very aware that, you know, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the clothing, the attire, like everything is just like so different and, and restrictive, right? Like suits are, are relatively restrictive for men, but then like the women's outfits are even more sort of burdensome to wear. But then at the same time, like the, the, the sort of like the, the distinction and the differences that you're describing, like they are like naturally interesting and appealing to people. Um, and it, and it sort of captures people's attention, right? Like back when the show was on the air, like, you know, uh, good, good, educated, you know, uh, right thinking people were holding like madmen parties where they would dress up like this and, and make cocktails and like try to like, you know, smoke cigarettes and like, uh, it would be like a throwback to the yeah. era. And it's like, why would you want to do that? I thought this era was, uh, yeah. Well, the antebe- the antebellum, you know, they used to do in the, you know, there was a girl on The Bachelor like a season or two ago, and she ended up uh, with the um, with the black guy who was The Bachelor, and it came out there was a scandal. Did you hear about this? She was at an antebellum South party like before George Floyd. I did not know this. Yeah. So oh, she was from, I did hear about that. You know what? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and, and she was from yeah she was from Georgia, and so she um uh you know she went to this party and like pictures came out after, and then the guy like left her, and it became like a a oh, huge uh, scandal. So like even like up until like a few years ago, right? It was like I guess normal for people, maybe it still is to have like antebellum South parties, right? I mean, uh, it, in Mad Men, there was a, a scene. I mean, e- e- like e- even even in the nineteen sixties, right? Like there was a scene where Roger has uh some kind of party and he wears blackface and like yeah sort of uh you know this sort of sequence where he's trying to uh court his new wife or i think did they get married or they got engaged or something but anyway like roger in like 1963 or 1964 is like wearing blackface and like oh i remember okay so when i rewatched this this was funny um I, i rewatched it on amazon prime uh, you know, most of the episodes is just normal, but then I, I clicked on an episode and they, it gave me this like trigger warning, and it was like, you know, there are there are scenes in this oh, uh, yes. show We're which may be upsetting to some people, whatever. And I'm like, okay, like every episode is like, you know, it's all in the 1960s, so wouldn't everything? But then that was the episode where Roger yeah. was in blackface. Yeah, blackface like, is different. Blackface wow. is like the uh, is like the N word. They never say the N word, uh, do they? Um, um, I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, like Roger, I think Roger makes a couple of like, you know, uh, whatever he makes a couple of remarks. I think Bert, Bert didn't want Don, 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 like the black secretary. He didn't want her to be in the lobby 
of the new Sterling Cooper building. He wanted a white woman there. So yeah, like, there's Burke. like a little bit of examples of racism, but no one goes like, you know, that, that far into it. I, yeah, the, the, it's the, more. The sexism is rampant, but there's very little like overt racism. All the racism is kind of, so, although there is like kind of, um, you know, I guess like semi cruel, casual anti-Semitism, but uh, I, I don't know. I guess that's probably more like socially acceptable to portray yeah, I, I don't, yeah. you know... Cruel, but Weiner like, himself is Jewish, so maybe that's why. Yeah, the, I mean, I don't know about cruel at I mean, the, uh, isn't that the doctor... Like, uh, you know, the Jews look pretty assimilated. I mean, it seems like, I mean, the, the, the complaints about anti-Semitism seem pretty petty. I mean, Don, you know, has an affair with that Jewish woman. That guy, that surgeon in his building who he cucks is, is also Jewish, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, he is. That's um, they see, you know, his best seems, friend. Yeah, yeah. See, that yeah, was when Don lost to me. You know, yeah. it was like you know, <laughs> it was I, his I only friend. Like wasn't it like but, he was like his only friend in the show? It was his it? only friend in the well, Roger, <laughs> right? Like he sort of has this on again, yeah, Roger, off again right. relationship with Roger, and they're kind of friendly. But like, yeah, his next door neighbor was like his real, like a real friend, right? Like outside of work. And he's sleeping with his wife, and I'm like, this guy is like, this guy's a monster, man. Like, you know, he's, yeah. So it, it was hard for me to like, you know, I, I guess like at first you kind of think he's cool because you know he's smoking and he has all these mistresses and whatever. But like, well, I mean, here's, I mean, here's I the genetic interpretation for for Don. I mean, his wife, his mom ended up was his mom was a prostitute, so his she mom was, was sex crazed. And he's a man, and he has her genes, and he's he's also sex crazed, and nothing else matters. That's all I mean. there we go. You should write uh, the behavioral genetics of prestige TV. <laughs> that, that's, that can be a new Substack post for you. Yeah, um, I should because it it, it it actually does reflect. Like, take take characters people... and just do this with them. You know, like Tony Tony's dad was in the mob, and therefore he's in the mob. Not because he was raised in it; it was because <laughs> his dad Tony. was criminally inclined. And forty what is it like crime is forty percent heritable or something? Yeah, um, yeah. So the, but, the, the uh, producers are rarely <laughs> thinking about this stuff. I think, but like. I Actually, actually, no, no, I think you're like, right. Like the, the, the sort of like Freudian model is typical in TV now. Yeah, like, but yeah, although although the Sopranos, childish. although the Sopranos, I, you do see these this these nature nurture debates when uh, Tony's talking to Mel Melfi, and Tony is oh, coming yeah. down. So like, I one of my favorite scenes. It's like Mel. He's like falling in love with Melfi, and he's he like he's, he says something like, you know, I I don't want to have sex with my mother. It's like I'm a man, you're a woman. Like that's all. Like that's all you need to explain it. And so he's like making like the very simplistic case for all this like history stuff is bs and you know it's, this is just this is just the most natural thing in the world that a man would like a woman and her theory <laughs> is oh oh you know because i remind you of your mother and tony's like man you got a smoking body it's just like yeah like, yeah that's like it's also like a good explanation too right yeah <laughs> like, although yeah. yeah 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 i mean so so yeah yeah i i guess well okay so Hmm. Yeah. The, the, the racism in Mad Men is mostly sort of subtle and like, like, you know, the, the maids, right. They have Carla, the yeah. maid at the Draper so, well, house. Actually, if you Betty read, fires if, her. If you read um, about the 19, like the 1960s um, and like how civil rights era developed, uh, like open, like explicit sexism was uh, allowed, was like, you know, uh, was a thing way beyond, uh, way past the time when uh, racism was. So like in the mid 1960s, like everyone is like, basically, you know, they're, they're coming close to what, how people are today. It's like, you know, there should be no distinction between uh, blacks and whites. You know, when the, you know, you probably know the story of the civil rights act, when they added sex discrimination, people laughed at it. The, the Congress, they laughed at it. 
was put in there um, by a Southern congressman who wanted to kill the bill. He wanted to kill the entirety of the Civil Rights Act. Uh, so he put in a bill that, okay, we're also not going to discriminate against sex. Basically, everyone in Congress laughs. Um, and like, you know, he makes a joke, like he makes jokes as he's like introducing it in there. And everyone, like, even like the woke people, like, you know, the uh, civil rights groups, they're like, oh, well, well the men are going to be, you know, men aren't going to be able to have women, se- female secretaries. Like, how crazy is that? You can't have like a female, you can't have a preference for female secretaries. So like you go into like the 60s, you go into like the late 60s and it's still, you know, a completely different era. While the rate, you know, the race relations and the way people are supposed to talk about race, it starts to resemble the modern era uh, much, much before that. Um, I, I don't know. How- I don't know. Well, how the sex we- relations, I think, is, is it's harder to change. Right. Because like that's, you know, that's just something that like affects people's personal lives. And it's just something yeah. that I, I mean, yeah. I Was that exaggerated, by over. the way, when when Betty gets lung cancer at the end and like the doctor doesn't tell her, but like calls her husband. And this is like the this is near the end of the show. It's like the late 60s. Um and like he still doesn't tell her until like later. It, was that realistic? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I wish I had an old person like here. Well, no, no, uh, no they did ask. tell her. I mean, in in the show mm-hmm. itself, they did. I think like they no, they did tell her eventually. They told her eventually, but when she gets diagnosed, he the doctor won't tell her. He calls her husband, and then her, he tells her husband, and then the husband like later has to like uh, you know yeah, find yeah, a time then, to tell her. Then well, yeah, and then Betty Betty does find out. She does yeah. find out. Well, I heard this. There was yeah. another scene like this with with Anna Draper, right? Uh, the wife of the real Don Draper, who's like diagnosed with, I don't know, some kind of disease. And then um, like Don learns from Stephanie, Anna's niece uh, and, and her sister or something like someone in the family. They were like, yeah, she has this disease and she's going to die soon. And Don is like, I'm going to go tell her. And they're like, please don't tell her. The doctors don't want her to know. That was like very interesting. Like wh- what was the what was the reasoning? I wonder back then, like, I don't know how prevalent it was, you know, I don't. But 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 assuming it was more prevalent than today, like why? I mean, was probably, that like standard be, practice or something to hide diagnoses from patients? Like, what's yeah. the benefit there? Well, what's I the assume payoff? it's something about women being emotionally fragile. I mean, I assume it's something like you know, oh, like, do you think it was so? So you think they would tell like if if a man had cancer, they would tell him, but but they wouldn't tell. No, it was exactly cancer. like I don't know if all the time. Like maybe they'd hide it from a man too, but like in the case of Betty, like they call her husband specifically because they want to tell the husband, but they don't want to tell the they don't want to tell Betty herself. Um, so it's like, it seems like analogous. Uh, they used, doctors used to have like, I, I think they used to be more like, uh, uh, paternal, like they could give you like a placebo apparently, like at one point I heard, um, and like, just, you know, that would help you feel better. And like, they don't do that. They don't lie to you and like give you sugar pills and say like, this is, you know, this is the real medicine. Um, so they, there is like, that's changed, um, a bit. It's all about, you know, cons- informed consent and all that. But yeah, it was, um, you know, I assume it's like the same thing. It's like, uh, while well, you don't tell it, you know, probably doctors probably don't tell children. I don't know. Do doctors tell children? Children, like you know, you have cancer. I think they tell the parents and then leave it to the parents. Oh, interesting. So that was the idea that like there was sort of this infantilization of of women. And okay, yeah, I mean that was that was like an interesting aspect of this. Like I wasn't sure what to make of it the first time I saw, it, but then the second time around, I was like, what? Well, yeah, why are they hiding or concealing these these diagnoses? And I, yeah, I, I didn't even make the connection with uh, with sexism. I just assumed they did this with everyone, but I didn't even look into it. I just <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, so I saw, some, I saw some I saw some tweets because they thought yeah. it would upset them. Yeah, I saw some tweet the other day from some feminist. I didn't check if it was true, so I don't know if it's true. But it's basically, uh, uh, it was like, oh, you, you know, you, like a lot of men don't know, or a lot of people don't know that until like 1965 or some year like that, like a woman couldn't even open up a credit card like without her without her husband's permission, and that seems pretty incredible. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's like it sounds believable given like what doctors, uh, 
you know, what doctors were, uh, <laughs> were doing according to the show. Again, I don't know how much this is exaggerated. I wasn't alive back then, but I'd be yeah, interested. No, like, you know, like how much of an agenda was going on? You know, that was why, why I had these, the sort of question about infidelity, right? Like, was this like, you know, was this an agenda to show like how bad things were back, you know, back when men could get away with anything they wanted? Or is this, you know, or, or was that an accurate representation of that era? You know, because, yeah, so, so, so anyway, yeah, that was, um, yeah, that, that part of it was, was odd. I mean, I, Betty was not the one that I thought was going to get lung cancer. I mean, I didn't know who I would pick, maybe Don, but like Betty was like younger than him. I mean, she smoked a lot, but yeah. she always looked like relatively youthful and, well, that was, that was tragic. That it was actually heartbreaking because Betty was just had a miserable life and then she just yeah. dies early. And then at the end, like, you know, when, and then she goes, talks to her daughter and that's like the only time they'd like see, they hate <laughs> each other, but that's all the time they have a connection. Yeah. It was really sad. Was very, she leaves behind like, this full, she leaves behind yeah. these three children and they're all going to go live their lives. And they're with a stepdad now. And like, you know, they don't have a mother. It was a very, you know, yeah, sort of just heartbreaking. Too. Like I didn't, I didn't know. Like, so, so, so in that final, yeah, the final episode, the finale, Don talks to Sally and he says, like, when, when she tells him that Betty has cancer, she's going to die. Don is like, OK, I'm coming there right now. You're all going to live with me. And Sally's like, no, like the boys need stability and, you know, they need to be here. And, and Betty even tells Don and she was I mean, this was a pretty cold remark where she said something like, you know, I want them to have, you know, I want the, their lives to be as normal as possible. And you not being here is part of that. And like, yeah, she, and then she says, like, when's the last time you saw your kids? And Don can't answer because he can't remember. And I'm like, okay, so that's interesting that, but, but at the same time, it's like, you know, is that like, you know, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't really accept that Henry, Don, that like, you know, yeah. the father shouldn't be raising with the kids. It should be the stepdad with the mom who's, who's dying. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I bought that. Yeah, I don't know, Henry. I don't know if that's what Henry. I think that's supposed to be like, oh, Henry is just this, you know, trooper who just loves Betty and like, you know, will sacrifice himself for, for that. I, I think it's funny. Henry was like, uh, he was like working on the Nelson. Like he was trying to work for uh, was James Lindsay or Nelson Rockefeller? Rockefeller? Who, Rockefeller? Who was, was Rockefeller? Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. He's like, he's like, uh, you know, he's in, in, in he's like. Um, He's like uh, embedded in this sort of like you know wasp Eastern Eastern establishment Republicanism, uh, which is interesting. And maybe that's like you know he takes that's what he does. He takes care of the kids, and you know he does his he does, does his, his duty. duties. <laughs> yeah, I guess Betty in a way got what she wanted. I mean, because Betty, I, she strikes me as the kind of person who would want to die while she's still like relatively youthful and beautiful. Yeah, and she was like obsessed with growing old. So maybe in a way, this is a, you know, that was like a, the show being kind to, to her character. <laughs> in a way. Like you get to die and you still yeah. look, you know, you still look pretty good. Um, yeah, I guess she did have, I mean, was her life really that sad? She had like a, you know, a pretty, pretty well-to-do upbringing. She went to, she went to Bryn Mawr, studied anthropology, learned Italian. Uh, well, you know, I guess you know, well, she did marry said... a guy who lied to her and yeah. like, like took completely deceived her about who he was. So that's, that's well, you know, after she, after she gets lung cancer, uh, it's interesting. Uh, he, uh, uh, she go, wants to go back to get her master. She wants to keep going to class and then oh, yeah. like, uh, and then, uh, uh, what's that? She wanted to keep reading her Freud textbooks. It was, she was studying psychology. Yeah. You know, and, 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 uh, her, uh, and her husband, what was his name again? It was, uh, uh, what was the husband's Henry? name? Henry. Who are we talking about? Uh, yeah, Betty's husband, Henry, right? 
uh, well, whatever. Henry, and then Henry goes, why are you still doing Like, why are you still going to get your masters? Yeah. Like, you know, and she's like, why does anyone do anything? And, or something like that. <laughs> and then she, and then she goes, and I'm like, that is such a good, like, it's like that, that was her life. Why does anyone yeah. do anything? Well, you know, you just, you just do it. You just go, you have kids, you, you, you cook, you know, then you just, you go get your masters. Like, you know, when you have nothing else to do and you just like get a credential and like you get lung cancer, but you just keep doing it just because why does anyone do anything? I thought that was and a then very, you see, um, you see Sally like teaching Bobby how to cook and wash dishes and all this. And I, I, I like, was that supposed to be like emblematic of like, like a uh, baby boomer children being raised by like neglectful absent parents. Like I was trying to get a sense of like, what was going on there? Yeah, I don't like, know. I mean, cause they like, show it. this with um, Sally's friend. Remember she had this friend who played some instrument, but then she like goes to run away and then, like, Betty finds, I don't know, I guess, like, Betty discovers that she was living in this, like, I don't know, rundown cabin with these other, I don't know, I don't think they weren't hippies, but just, like, these sort of runaways. Like, that was going on back then. Like, if you read about accounts of what was going on with the youth in the late 1960s in America, like, they were just, like, run away from home and, like, hitchhike to San Francisco. Like, like 15-year-old girls would just, like, yeah. like leave. Like, that was happening, like, fairly regularly, at least, you know, according to these sort of accounts of, of that era. And, um, like, I don't know, was, was, was Mad Men trying to like show, oh, like, you know, the parents were all distracted, they were getting divorced, they didn't care, they weren't paying attention to their kids. And so this is why, like, all this stuff was happening. I mean, even, even the scene with like Sally running into Dawn, you remember this? Like she catches Dawn sleeping yeah. with uh, the, the, the neighbor's but wife. But I mean, that, 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 can't be, that can't be right. I mean, they were probably the most attentive parents, like in human history up until that point. I mean, they were... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, you know how people thought about children, like 152, it was just like, you know, whatever, you go out and you, you know, you do whatever you want. And then like, you know, you, it was, well, either they were just like, you know, they were attentive because like they were working on a farm or something or like they were doing yeah, that's the what family, I thinking, right? Like, like the whole like school system and like parents going to work every day. And like, I don't know, just, I, I think like, I mean, of course, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I have a good sense of like the history of, of childhood in America, but it does seem like there was this sort of like the rise, like that era of like the 1950s was like the rise of this kind of like alienation of like parents and children and everyone having like their own separate worlds becoming sort of like, like drifting apart, sealed off from one another. Whereas like, yeah, in the early 20th century, yeah, like people were probably like living on farms or factories. There were no child labor laws. So like you could like literally work on a factory alongside with your little son. <laughs> like yeah. not, not, that, not saying that's better, but like there was like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there was as much um, sort of separation between, between the kids and the parents, but I, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So let's, uh, so it's been about an hour. Let's see if anyone wants to sort of jump in, if they want to answer questions. I'd be interested if we have any hundred year olds who remember the 1950s and 1960s that would be great. and want to, and want to comment on, you know, if we got, if, uh, whether the show is accurate or not. Okay. We could keep chatting and people can try to jump in and then, uh, I guess we can, we can chat and then close out if nobody, uh, if nobody has any, anything. Um, yeah. Well, what did you, um, what did you think of? Okay. So, so this is something that I was, I was very intrigued by because I, I, I went back and like read some reviews and, you know, just interpretations of, of the show and unanimously critics loved Peggy's character and they <laughs> applauded or of course they would like took this yeah. sort of, you know, neutral stance on her decision to give up her baby during pregnancy 
And I was thinking to myself, like, okay, so, like, like she has sex with Pete, gets pregnant, doesn't acknowledge her pregnancy, gives the baby up, and then, like, for the rest of the series, you see her, like, struggling to climb up the career ladder and, like, having a string of these, like, unfulfilling relationships. She even stabs one of her boyfriends. Do you remember this? She ties a knife to, like, a mop handle and, like, stabs, yeah, stabs her, her, her boyfriend. Like, yeah, so, but, like, you know, so, but she had a bunch of these, like, you know, trying to navigate the dating scene in the 60s as things were, you know, this, like, the sexual revolution, things were changing. And she wants to climb the, the top, right? Like, the reason she gave up the kid was because she liked working. And then in the final season, there was this interesting scene with Roger where, you know, like they're, they're leaving the old Sterling Cooper, well, like the second Sterling Cooper building to move into McCann. And Roger said something like, you know, it's never easy to sell a business, especially when your name's out in front of the building. And Peggy says like, oh, I hope someday I'll know what that's like. Uh, but the entire show, you see like Peggy's satisfaction with that job is like tenuous at best. Like you never really see, I don't know, like, I, like how fulfilled was she working this job? She doesn't like the job. I mean, it's not shit that she then, likes. Well, the, the other thing that's interesting is that the men, right? So Roger and Don, and like one of the sort of undercurrents of the show is that like you have these guys who have everything, right? Like Masters of the Universe, like Don and, uh, you know, whatever. Like, but, but then you see like how unfulfilled they are, right? Like they have this job. They're super successful professionally at the top of their game. But you see this sort of like whatever. It's kind of a cliche at this point, but this kind of suburban on way, this kind of depression that they have. Like, oh, this, Ro- this all I there think, is. I think Roger sort of – I think I see Roger as jo- jovial and sort of happy. Uh, I, mean, I, I think like that's his, his persona. But then like even Roger in the – I think it was the second to final season. He's in therapy and he's making these remarks. To his th- I mean, he's trying to entertain his therapist because that's his character is like, he's, he's amusing. But then he says like, you know, life, what is life? Life is a series of pennies where you just like go along and pick up pennies on the ground and put them in your pocket. And like, you think you have a new experience, but it's just another penny that you pick up something like but, that. Uh, so even he has this sort of like fatalistic view of life. Well, there's, there's, that's consistent. So there's, there's like two kinds of happiness, right? There's like a, there's like it, how, how much you enjoy things in the moment. And then like how you sit back and reflect and, you know, we, you know, we know that like people can, you know, there's like psychologists who find people. Yeah, yeah, people could be high. Yeah, the remembering stuff exactly it can be high on one and low on the other. So Roger seems to be like if you just go experience himself, he's very happy. Um, as long as the psychiatrist doesn't get him on the couch and get some talking and thinking, um, yeah. you know, he's he's okay. Well, you could cook- see Roger's chasing something though. Roger was like taking LSD at the end, like regularly, right? Like he didn't just like he did it once. He had a weird trip, but he didn't. Yeah. You know, he didn't find it. But that too doesn't mean terrible. you're unhappy. You could, you could just like you could just enjoy the drugs, right? That, That's that just- possible, I guess. I don't know. He's like having orgies like i i mean like i took this like his character and, and more so i mean they beat you over the head more with, with don about like you know despite having everything you know like don is still like some part of him like right like at the end like don literally flees his whole life like he he just like walks out of the mccann building and like becomes a like a hobo hitchhiker and like you know hitchhikes his way like well i think he drives but then he gives his car to the motel employee in like oklahoma and then hitches the rest of the way to California and becomes a greaser and like works as a mechanic and ends up at that retreat with Stephanie at the meditation retreat. But like the whole thing is like, you know, Don's running away from this thing. But like, it's interesting that like, I guess my, my point here is that like, you see these, you know, these men who are doing really well, but they're not really happy. And then you see Peggy chasing that same life. And 
It, I, I don't know if this is like, this, this is sort of like one, one message here is that like, you know, Peggy's kind of chasing something and it's either like the thing that she wants isn't actually that satisfying or, or maybe it's like the chase itself is the satisfying part. But then once you have it, you actually find that it's not as great as you thought it would be like Don himself, right? Like Don completely uh, like, like transformed himself. He sort of remade himself into this sort of, you know, this different person took a different identity, whatever, and like got the thing that he thought he wanted. And then he's not actually happy with it. Um, I guess Pete too, to some degree, like what Pete wanted in the end was his family, right? Like he ends yeah. up moving to Wichita away from the city, right? Like Pete is the, like the one character who like is actually in love with New York city itself, right? Like all these other people, they kind of make these remarks about the city as being dirty or unclean or something, but Pete loves New York, but then he's willing to leave and move to, to start a new life with his family. So it may, maybe the show, you know, one message is uh, like, like trying to, um, to say that like the, despite like the pleasures of the job, it's not that, that uh, meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. I mean, the fact that Pete is the only one who ends up clearly happy and the way he ends up happy is moving to the middle of the country uh, with his wife, with his and wife his, and his yeah, dedicated, yeah. yeah, dedicated to his uh, newly dedicated to his family. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you know, and this seems like one of those things, again, they do it in spite of themselves. Like you, you, you think Matt Wiener would like, to tell a story where Peggy is the happiest one at the end. Um, it's just, it's hard to do that. my happy ending. I mean, she gets Stanley or whatever, like the, the sort of big, like yeah. bearded dude. Yeah, I guess that's like, happy enough. I guess that's a happy enough. Yeah, yeah that's ending. a decent happy ending, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say Pete definitely had the, the happiest of the, the endings, even though he yeah. was kind of like the worst character among like the sort of main cast. Um, I mean, what did you, so, so <laughs> this is, so, so, so Joan, her, her character was interesting too, because she like, you know, you could like, if, based on the advice she gave Peggy in the early seasons about like, you know, you want to so, something along the lines of like, you know, if you're lucky, you'll climb up the secretarial pool, but if you're really lucky, you won't have to work at all. Something along those yeah. lines, basically saying, you know, you want to snag one of these, uh, these executives, um, but then Joan herself marries this very handsome doctor who turns out to be like a very like terrible person. He rapes her in Don's office and he's like kind of inept at his and job. He, and they, and it ends because they, they love um, uh, because he loves fighting in Vietnam so much. I thought that was funny. <laughs> like that's, he, she doesn't care. He really like, rapes her and like he's other, he's uh he's terrible in other ways, but it's like, yeah, Vietnam is awesome. I got to go back. <laughs> that's well, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, he, I guess like part of it was because like he, he did it without consulting her. Right. Like he just like, like signed up for another like year long or 18 month tour and like, doesn't consult her, tell her at all. He comes home for like a week on leave and then is like, yeah, I'm going back, like whatever. And she think like, that was an interesting thing. Like that was the thing that broke it. But I guess like, well, if she, if she divorced him right after the rape, I, I think like the fact that she stayed with him after was supposed to be commentary on the era, right. Of like, you know, women have such, um, you know, they face so many obstacles and whatever. And like, you know, if you find, uh, you know, w when they found a husband or whatever, like these things happened and like, there was nothing they could do it was out of their hands. But then like him re uh, yeah, yeah. Signing for another tour in, uh, in, in Vietnam, like that was, I guess like somehow more understandable or I don't know, just like less commentary in the era and like maybe more Joan taking charge. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was such a, yeah. I mean, he was, she, he was leaving. I mean, he was just leaving her. I mean, he was just like, yeah. like she, he wasn't, he wasn't giving kid. like she well, would she, put up, but that kid wasn't even his was the interesting thing. Right. Okay. Oh, so, so, yes, so that was kid Rogers. was Rogers. Yeah. She, right? she had yeah. sex with Roger, like, like spur of the moment, right? Like they get mugged in some, some, somewhere in New York. 
and then like somehow this turns them on and they have sex in like some dirty alley <laughs> and that was the conception of the kid but then joan like somehow manages to trick greg into thinking that's his kid and then like at the very end like one of the final seasons of the show but with with joan like roger says something like okay so does greg want to have anything to do with the boy basically because he thinks he's a son and joan responds um no, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the boy. Greg's a terrible person. And I, I think this is meant to be like a, like a, like a, like a good line for her, like, like powerful, like, yeah, you know, Joan is saying like, yeah, Greg's a, good, a bad person and he is a bad person, but there's no like acknowledgement that she's tried to trick him <laughs> into raising someone else's kid because she cheated on him. And I thought that interesting too, that like, is she like, you know, maybe she's a bad person too for what she did. But but a lot of the decisions, right, that she made, which were also not that great, were not as as, as sort of um, what like underscored as being uh, unethical in any way. Yeah, yeah. I think Greg is just such a bad. Like he doesn't even care about the kid anyway. Like the fact that yeah. he like loves Vietnam so much, I think is supposed to be like commentary. It's like you're not supposed to think it's noble. You're supposed to think that he's just like he. Well, likes he's also bad at his job. Remember, like he was training to be a surgeon and he failed. Oh yeah, and, like the uh, army is like for reach of people who can't make it. Is it like sort of yeah, like the yeah, army there was would this let him? Joke. There's a joke in uh, in the military about like uh, you know what what do you call oh what is it what do you call a doctor who graduates at the bottom of his class in medical school? Captain. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because like the military will take, you know, I mean, at least back in the day, I don't know, maybe things have changed now, but back in the day, yeah, they would, they would take any, you know, anyway. So, so like, yeah, yeah. I mean that, 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 that dynamic was, was interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The other characters, I mean, you know, there's Sal, he was like the sort of token gay character in the earlier seasons. I, I I found like Don's treatment of him interesting, right? Like at first he found out he was gay and didn't say anything, but then later fired him because I guess he, he tried to tell him. Out. Actually, he tried to tell him indirectly, like to uh, hide it. Right? Remember? Mm. He has some cryptic thing he says to him that I don't remember what the quote was, but it was like a thing where yeah. it's like you can't show yourself to the world or something like that. So like he's telling him like. You know, if you, if you get, he's basically telling him, you know, if you get caught, you're on your own. But like, if you hide it, like, I don't care. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I think there was supposed to be the shared. That was funny. John but he kept getting hit up by that identity. By, by that southern guy who kept like. <laughs> oh, uh, Lee Gardner Jr., the lucky strike. Yeah, that was so funny because like he was just like so like he was just like he's just like this zombie who wants to have sex with Sal, and then like, <laughs> Sal rejects him, and then he like goes out to destroy him, and everyone's like, "It's your fault, Sal." It was so weird. It was like it was like Sal was like a woman leading him on or something. Like Sal didn't really even do anything. And, like, sort of, I, I don't know how they all came to the conclusion that it was, like, Sal's fault. I thought that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the, okay, so let me see if I can remember what, like, Lee Gardner Jr., right? He's the, the he's on Lucky Strike, which is their biggest account, right? Like, they bring in, like, the, the, the most amount of money for the firm. And he's hitting on Sal. And Sal is, and so, so then, okay, so Lee calls, I think he calls Pete right after that event. Like, right after Sal turns him down, Lee doesn't want people to know he's gay right like for the obvious reasons and now sal knows that he's gay and so lee freaks out about that because now sal knows that he hit on him and whatever so then lee calls pete i think it was pete 
and says, like, we need you to fire Sal. Like, just get rid of him. And then Pete freaks out and calls Don. And, and like, Don is like, what the hell are you talking about? And then that's when he calls uh, Sal and is like, what happened between you two? And Sal keeps, like, dancing around it where he's like, oh, we had a misunderstanding. Like, we just had, you know, he was drunk and said a few things, you know. And then Don was like, tell me what happened. And finally he did. And Don was like, all right, like, that's it. You're out of here. Because, like, oh, so they, they probably assumed. They probably assumed then uh, that uh, Sal was the instigator, maybe. Because he I knew don't think because, they assumed that. I think, D- like, Don... they, just, they didn't assume that. Sal, like, they just had to get rid of Sal because Lee Garner Jr. said they had to get rid of him. Like, that's the only reason, right? Because Lee didn't want Sal around, and that's it, right? And and Lee wanted to get rid of Sal because he didn't want Sal to go around telling people he's gay. Yeah, but the, there was... Uh, yeah, but what did they... When Sal left, what did they think of... They knew he was gay? Like, that was part... Like, they knew he was gay, Right. Well, only uh, Don. Only Don knows. Only Don knew. All the other people yeah. knew was that all that uh, so all the other people knew was that Lee Garner Jr. wanted wanted him gone. Is that right? Yeah, that was the only. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so basically, the only people who knew that Lee's gay is Sal and Don, and yeah. So, so and and yeah. So that was basically the whole thing. And yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty tough. Like Sal didn't, you know. I mean, I, it, there was an interesting scene in, in that. So, so Sal tells Don something like you know, like, are you really firing me? And he's like, well, what if it had been some girl? Like, basically, what if Lee had pressured some girl into having sex and didn't want it? Like, how would you handle that? And Don, Don responds with, it would depend on what I knew about the girl. <laughs> pretty, like, pretty harsh, right? Like, even for, like, Don is supposed to be, I think, like, one of those slightly, like, sort of more forward-thinking people on the show. But even he's like, well, you know, it depends on the girl. Like, you know. Yeah. No, he's uh, definitely yeah. he's definitely not woke or enlightened or or, uh, or anything. Well, anything he, like but that. he still has like his own kind of like like uh, peculiar chivalry because when they try to arrange for Joan to sleep with the the big fat jaguar yes, guy, he's more horrified. He's by the that only thing. one who's like, I don't want you to like sleep with someone to get business. We can we can yeah. get the business without like doing this that was, that was like funny. everyone that, else they, like, that character that, that character was hilarious like this big just fat grubby guy like they, he they was did that like he, he's like the nightmare right like when he has joan with him he, he's like you know asking her to unzip the dress like let me see him like <laughs> about as disgusting as it gets and like yeah yeah that was really uh yeah that was that was uh yeah and it's funny like you know, I was reading a review of that, that like plot line and people were saying like, Joan would never like basically saying like that was unrealistic. Like Joan would never do this. Um, that doesn't fit with her character that she would sleep with someone. And like, that didn't make sense to me because like Joan was shown like basically from the very beginning as being like willing to use like sexual, uh, uh, like, yeah, basically being willing to use sex in order to, to get what yeah. she wants, right? Like, the whole thing in the beginning of the, the show in the, the first season, she's, like, basically telling Peggy, like, like yeah. dress a certain way. But there's a tab- there's way, a, it's, like- it's, a, it's a taboo. There's a taboo to make it too explicit, right? It's like, it's like you know, it's like if you offer someone, like, an open bribe versus, like, a lobbying relationship, right? It's like people need some mm-hmm. kind of possible I think it's too overt. Yeah, so she she's different between what she does and like a prostitute, right? She doesn't think of herself that way. Well, that was just like straight up prostitution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was um, Bert Bert Cooper who's like he's okay with it, but he still says something along the lines you of like, your mind, "Don't kid yeah. yourself. This is very dirty business. Like, this is really like you know, like be careful, kind of thing. Like, you, yeah. we're we're getting into something, you know. Anyway, so so yeah, that was kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I guess in some ways, but 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 yeah, it, it made sense to me with Don's character that he 
was opposed to it, that he wouldn't want um, her to do that. Yeah, I, you know, he, he's like, he's a horrible character in many ways, but I think it made sense for him to, like, not want to sort of, like, prostitute out the women in Sterling Cooper in order to gain business, even yeah. if it's just for sort of egotistical reasons. Yeah. So, uh, Rob, I think, you know, we've gone for about an hour, 20 minutes. I think there's a lot more we can talk about Mad Men, but if no one else uh, wants to jump in, um, I think we can, you know, put a pin on it and maybe, maybe come continue the conversation some other time. Yeah, sounds good. All right. It was fun, Rob. Until yeah, yeah. Time. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah.